This is Science Friday. I'm John Dankosky. Mushroom season is upon us. All different types of fungi are sprouting up in the woods, or maybe even in your yard after a heavy rainstorm. Mushrooms are cool to look at, of course, and generally okay to touch. The trouble comes if, say, a little kid or a dog eats one. How do you know if it's poisonous? Well, you'll want an expert opinion, and you'll want that opinion pretty fast. My next guest started a Facebook group to do just that, including poisonous plants, too. She recruited more than 200 botanists and mycologists from all over the world to volunteer their time, and the group has mushroomed <clears throat> in the past several years. It now has over 130,000 members. Joining me is Carrie Woodfield, co-founder of the Facebook group Poisons Help, Emergency Identification for Mushrooms and Plants. Uh, Carrie's also a foraging instructor at Wild Food UK, based in Hereford, England. Carrie, welcome to Science Friday. Thanks for being here. Hello, thanks for having me. So there are a lot of plant foraging and identification groups online. Why did you decide to create one that's specifically for identifying poisonous plants and mushrooms? I think it was we identified that there was a need for this kind of thing. We noticed that, I say we, myself, uh, the other co-founder and a lot of the other people that I'd come to know through the foraging groups, we noticed that people were turning to Facebook for an identification and just sort of posting on lots of groups when, say, little Timmy or little Fido had eaten a mushroom or a plant and you don't, don't necessarily want to take a big trip down to the A&E, we call it. You would call it the ER. So they were, you know, trying to ascertain what this was. And by this point, we had all kind of made a bit of a name for ourselves as good at being able to identify things. So we'd be tagged into these kinds of posts. And sometimes uh, I wouldn't be able to identify something. So I'd tag in other people who I thought might be able to help as well. And eventually we kind of realized we were all doing this anyway. So we might as well formalize it in a way that meant that the whole world ended up being covered uh, by someone who was going to be awake and know what it was at the time that it was needed. Most of them were going to be not harmful at all. But in the cases where it's ones that are poisonous and, and in the deadly range, you really need a, a quick identification uh, to have the best outcome. And so we decided after one of the particular cases, which had involved tagging quite a lot of people, it was a very difficult case uh, involving a, an autistic nonverbal five-year-old. And we realized that we were also worried about maybe going to sleep or going to work or driving or being without Wi-Fi, that the only way to sort of go forward was either to step back and not do it at all or to find a way to make it more cohesive. Could, could you tell us more about this case that, that kind of got everything started, this, this case of a five-year-old autistic child who, who had ingested something? Yes. So it was in Britain. I think it might have actually been a, a Scottish school that the school had photographed it and told the mum that their child had eaten this. He wasn't able to communicate how much or anything, but it was clearly in bits. And it was it's part of the Cortinarius genus, which has over 600 species. And so we were sort of all being tagged in by concerned people who knew that we were quite good at the identification. And realized that it might be beyond, say, my scope, 
but uh, not someone else's. We got the answer eventually. It turned out to be a non-toxic member of the genus. But after sort of talking it through with my, my then housemate, we kind of, we were talking about how we were getting a lot of these tags and, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea if we set up some kind of place that everything could go to at the same time and, and was only staffed then by uh, people who really knew what they were talking about because another problem on Facebook groups is everyone has an opinion and <laughs> yep. that opinion may not always be uh, something that's appropriate in that particular situation. You you want, when it's your, your child or your health or, or your pet's health or a loved one, when it's their health on the line, you want the uh, to know that you can trust the answer. So if your dog or your child eats a plant or a mushroom, and maybe you're concerned, most people's first instinct is, of course, to call local poison control. So I guess I'll ask you, I assume that the thing to do is to call poison control first, right? Not to go on the Facebook group. Actually, it depends. Um, but if it's something as dangerous as a, a dandelion leaf or a lettuce leaf you that's something that you don't necessarily need to do uh -huh. whereas uh calling poison control what's happening now is actually they're referring people to us anyway or they themselves that the people in poison control are posting with what they're receiving and to be honest a, a few of our identifiers are poison control too. We've selected scientists and, and people who really do know what they're talking about. Also, if it's a really dangerous one, you've got a small window of time to, to act. So you want to get that information to them as, as soon as possible. This isn't to replace the systems already in place. This isn't to sort of undermine or, or uh, take away from poison control or the amazing work that medical professionals do. This is actually to help them as well. We're very, very fast. Our, our record's like under a minute, but you'll definitely be seen in under five. So by the time you've managed to tie your shoelaces and put your toddler in the car, you've got the answer as to whether or not you're driving down to the emergency room with the identification to give them or whether or not you're going to the ice cream shop to fill them up on ice cream. They're yeah. really hungry, you know, <laughs> and an ice cream is our patented uh, method for our, you know, our non-toxic prescriptions. Uh, if you've eaten something non-toxic, I think it was Patrick Bjork, uh, our Swedish mycologist and botanist who uh, he's quite famous for uh, stepping in and calming down terrified parents with this rather lovely little uh, prescription for <laughs> ice cream and then maybe a glass of wine for mum and dad because you've had a scare. It's, it sounds like those are some pretty safe prescriptions to give. I, I want to ask about this group of, of experts that you've recruited from all over the world. They're, they're volunteers. Who, who are these people and, and how did you recruit them to be part of this group? So in any community, you start to become familiar with who's good at something and you know strengths and weaknesses so we started to all recognize each other's talents and um, abilities and so that sort of founded the core people and then asking them who do you know that I don't that would also be good we've got a lot of uh, big names behind us and it's a uh, really a, a, I don't know why they decided to work for me like they've, I don't know anything in comparison to these people these are, are people who they've been working for sometimes decades in the industry as uh, lecturers and mycologists and botanists and and researchers 
in their spare time, they're like, yeah, okay, they then this isn't something that we're paid to do. So they sort of dip in and out when they can. These are people who are giving their time and they've got day jobs wherever they wherever they work. Um, you can't have just anybody asking questions around the clock. You, you have very specific rules about who can post and what sorts of questions actually go to this esteemed group. If it's a casual question that doesn't have the emergency criteria of with mushrooms being ingested or with uh, plants being touched or ingested, then just put it on one of the other groups that we run and you'll you'll get seen, you'll get the answer. But when it is an emergency, this is we get that internal alert system which pulls us all in to have a look at it or whoever's awake and able, obviously. But we drop everything for some of these cases. I've I've pulled over on the side of the road. I've handed my breastfeeding baby to my partner and, and ran out to the car with my books in order to deal with uh, a, a case because, you know, we, we, we do prioritise it. And uh, the reason that we're so strict about asking about where in the world we are, and if I were to say, oh, this is in HR2, that's not going to mean anything to your listeners because that's specific to Britain. Whereas uh, state abbreviations that a lot of uh, USA people in the USA are familiar with don't mean anything to, say, myself or people in Australia or the Philippines. So we need people to say exactly where they are and like spell it out because that way we can alert the relevant people. Exactly. Well, and and luckily, most of the cases that you get calls for are are not life threatening. But but every once in a while, a correct identification really is a matter of life and death. Can you tell us about how you were able to save the life of a boy in Pakistan who ate a mysterious berry? Oh, that was a that was a really horrible case. Um, the group was fairly new at that point, and we got contacted by someone from a hospital saying three boys have eaten this berry. Uh, two of them were already dead, um, the eight-year-old and the 10-year-old, I think. And it was the, the 12, 13-year-old who was unconscious. And I actually, I don't know Pakistani flora, um, but one of the gifts maybe of the ADHD autistic brain is being able to recognize like internal patterns. And we, normally we don't sort of Google on a hunch, but Normally, we've got someone who can ID it without who actually knows it. But in this particular case, we we didn't. We were a very new group, and I I googled Pakistan red berry and scrolled through about six Google pages before I came across this uh, one called uh, Masuri berry. Uh, I found the scientific name, put that in, and pulled up all of the same pictures, which allowed me to um, confirm and uh, then found out, yes, this is a horrendous toxin. So passed that back to the hospital. And once once that's done, once the ident is done, that's my job done. Obviously, we like a follow-up, but we don't harangue anyone for it. And it actually took, it took someone being a little nosy about a year later asking what happened. And, and he said, yeah, that the boy did live. Usually, if people have pulled through there they're very quick to tell us and and you know um that obviously you can understand that that will stay with me forever but but it's a it's it's a it's amazing that you're able to to do what you did and uh amazing that you're able to to find some of this information just knowing a bit 
about how this works. You, you, you're an expert in this field, but not even necessarily knowing all the berries in Pakistan, you're able to do a search in a much more efficient way than someone else would. I, I guess I should ask though, so many people because of the internet, because of Google and because of all these plant applications that you can get on your phone, probably a whole lot of people think they know more than they do, right? They can look up red berries in Pakistan pretty easily as well. What's the difference between you and the people in your group and someone with a smartphone and a, and a, and a plant ID app? That's a very good question. And um, a lot of it, I think, comes down to knowing what you know, but importantly, knowing what you don't know. And there's a lot of drive to feel that you're good at something, the best at something. And I think that's part of the reason the people that we recruited were recruited was because they knew their limits um, and they knew when they were able to to do something and able to say, I don't know this one, but I know who might. Uh, obviously, we recruit people with a, a track record, a proven history of getting things right. The epidemic of app users uh, at the moment is, is quite worrying because they're, they're just not accurate enough yet. Uh, some of us did a, a test and we worked out it was something like 30% accuracy, but I've certainly had uh, deadly hemlock uh, identified as an edible. And one of our uh, people, her son's hair was identified as a gourmet mushroom. And we run on a consensus as well. So uh, we need at least three people to, to agree with that consensus and that way if someone one of us is having a bad day and gets it wrong which does happen we're all human it doesn't matter because we've got all the other people able to say no actually that's incorrect because of x y and z i'm talking with carrie woodford co-founder of a facebook group that helps to identify poisonous plants and mushrooms i'm john dankoski and this is science friday from wnyc studios well Obviously, you and your group are there to to help, but you'd love it if you didn't get so many calls from around the world. What sort of tips do you have for people who are spending time outside with their kids and with their dogs? Th things that they might just need to know in order to help identify things in advance or to just make sure that they're safe and they're, they're not having to call you. In terms of staying safe, obviously most of our cases are going to be toddlers and puppies. So knowing that you know they're they're sort of the wild card as it were the uncontrolled aspect of it but they're fast and and you know i'm certainly not uh, faster than my toddler half the time so uh, it's a mixture of supervision teaching them as early on to you know only eat things that have been cooked and that you can name so that way you know they, they bring it to you uh, to identify making it a game rather than run away and and like or lie about what what they've done they're able to share with you like that they're interested in this thing and then you can talk about it and mushrooms and plants they uh, they don't have legs they won't chase you so in terms of uh, with mushrooms particularly you have to actually put them into your your stomach for them to pose problem with plants they can be a, a bit more dangerous. We've all been stung by a nettle or I think poison ivy is a big problem in uh, the States. Certainly the, the dangerous ones are, are worth learning, but 
also try not to think about it as a way of like sanitizing nature. These things are doing their job, they've got a purpose um, and a life of their own. There was this wonderful poem I read about this uh, man who whose toddler had gotten stung by a, a nettle. And so he, he burned and he hacked and he dug up. And, and then, you know, the next week they were up again. And actually the lesson there is like teach and learn about how to avoid the harm rather than trying to eliminate the harm because the world is uh, not going to be sanitized so easily. You know, we teach our children how to cross the road, look left and right. You know, you don't sanitize everything. You learn and adapt how to how to deal with the world. Mm. Yeah, that that's, I think, a good place to end. Carrie Woodfield is co-founder of the Facebook group Poisons Help, Emergency Identification for Mushrooms and Plants. Uh, Carrie is also a foraging instructor at Wild Food UK based in Hereford, England. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. This has been really exciting.